Good morning. Today's scripture lesson comes to us from the book of Job, chapter 42, verses 1 through 6 and 10 through 12a. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. If you'd like to follow along, you can do so on page 8 of the bulletin. Now, imagine a scenario where you have lost everything in your life, not just one child, but all of your children, seven sons and three daughters. You would be angry, you would be bitter, you'd be resentful. And then imagine God coming to you and saying, Are you serious? Are you really going to challenge me? Job answered the Lord, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be opposed successfully. You said, Who is this darkening counsel without knowledge? I have indeed spoken about things I did not understand, wonders beyond my comprehension. You said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will inform me. My eyes had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I relent and find comfort on dust and ashes. Then the Lord changed Job's fortune when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord doubled all Job's earlier possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and acquaintances came to him and ate food with him in his house. They comforted him and consoled him, conquering all the disaster the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a kezata, which is a piece of money, and a gold ring. Then the Lord blessed Job's later days more than his former ones. Yes, my friends, be still and know that I am God. The word of God for the people of God. For our guests this morning, we are on a journey searching out examples of faithfulness. We are doing so through the Hebrew scriptures and looking at various characters that exemplified faithfulness, whether it be through a mighty task that God laid before them or a personal circumstance or challenge. We began the conversation last week talking about Noah as a character who faced a really mighty task. The scriptures define him as a man who walked and talked with God and as a just man in his society, in his neighborhood. And that those were the characteristics that empowered him to accomplish this task that God set before him. That that was his righteousness, walked and talked with God and a person who was just. And, and that for us to think about being righteous people in our circumstances, our lives, to think about the, the mighty task that maybe God is calling us, if we would walk and talk with God and be just, could that emerge among us? Would we be able to fulfill God's calling individually and as a community of faith? Today we're going to consider Job who faced total loss. Everything in his life he lost. If you think about one of the common threads of our humanity, it is our brokenness. The imperfections that we all live within and yet try to overcome. We live in the midst of imperfect relationships. We live in the midst of an imperfect relationship with God, with one another, and with creation. But we also carry within us this idea of fairness and justice, an idealism around it. Good people should inherit or should get what? 
good results, right? Bad people should have punishment, judgment. I mean, that's kind of the idealism, our sense of fairness and justice that we live under. Unfortunately, when our imperfections collide with this idealism, what happens? Trouble, pain, questions arise. And our conversation today is about that. It's about our sense, our our idealism around justice and fairness, around a God who is supposedly in control of all things, and the questions that arise in the middle of that, the conflict between our brokenness and our idealism. How many of you ever read Rabbi Harold Kushner's book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Any of you had the opportunity to read that? Several of you probably have. If you think about it, it's his own kind of working out and journaling of this very thing. His young son contracted a chronic, devastating illness for the family. And Harold Kushner wanted to know why. What was it that his son had done that would cause him to gain this kind of illness? Or what did the family do or not do in their service to God that their son would undergo this kind of trauma in his life. He wanted to know where God was and and why God would let this happen. Or more importantly, he wanted to know why didn't God stop it from happening? Those were his questions. That's what he wrestled with in this work and, and in this text. Because he realized that the idealism of our sense of justice and our brokenness, when it collided, it caused a tension that he just had to work through but had no answers for. In the moment. That might be the same for some of us. You think about the brokenness in our own lives. It might happen when a relationship breaks apart and we want to know why. We question what we did. We question God maybe sometimes when something goes awry in our lives. We lose a job. We lose a house. We lose our wealth, a possession or something. We feel angry with God when we get sick, we get a medical diagnosis we weren't expecting to come, and, and all of a sudden we're mad at God for this. Or especially when someone so young dies in our lives and we think it's tragic and unfair, and we want to know why. Almost all of us, almost all of us think that good people should get good things and bad people should get the bad things. And yet what we really know is is that not a single one of us is exempt from the pain and the suffering and the devastation that can happen in our lives. The reality of our experience tells us that it is arbitrary in nature. It can interject itself into any one of our lives at any moment that it transpires. And there's not much that we can really do about these things. We can't fend off the brokenness of our lives. But how do we dwell in the middle of that? How do we come to an understanding of what it is and to find hope and peace in it? That's really the journey for us. According to the scriptures, there once upon a time was a man named Job who lived in a far eastern land called Uz. Job was a wealthy man. As a matter of fact, he was the wealthiest man in all of the East. He had good health. He was a righteous man. He was a man that had a great family. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had all the possessions that he could want or desire or even try to figure out how to maintain. 
He cared for his family so much that he would even make sacrificial offerings for his children to cover any potential sins that they might have committed but weren't aware of. That's how much he cared for his family. One day, God was holding court in the heavens and all the divine beings began to gather around the throne of God. One of them was defined as the adversary. And the adversary was a divine being whose sole task was to go about the earth and root out and find unrighteousness and report that to God. As these divine beings gathered around the throne, God saw the adversary coming and asked the adversary, Where have you been? And the adversary said, I have been wandering the earth looking for unrighteousness. And God begins to brag. And says to the adversary, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man of integrity. He's a man who reveres God. He is an honest man who avoids all evil in the world. The adversary looked at God and said, of course he does. You protect him from all things in life. You have a hedge around him and his family that keeps him from the brokenness of life. If you would take that away and he would experience the trauma of life, he would curse you. God says to the adversary, disrupt Job's life, but don't harm him physically. And he does. One day Job is sitting in his house and All of a sudden, a rush of servants come in with these different reports. One servant comes in and he reports that thieves have gathered and stolen the oxen, the donkeys, and the camels, and they killed all of the servants save the one that came to report. Immediately after, another servant comes rushing in and says that a fire from heaven has fallen and it has consumed all of Job's sheep and all of the servants save the one who was reporting. Then another servant comes in and he tells Job that a a mighty wind has come in off the desert. It has pressed in upon all four corners of his oldest son's house and the house collapsed on all ten of his children, killing them. Job received these reports one after another. All of his children are gone. All of his possessions are gone. And Job arose from where he sat. He tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell upon the ground and worshipped God. He said, Naked I came into this world. Naked I will go out. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Bless the name of the Lord. Almost everything that Job had gone in a moment and he blessed the name of God. One day the divine beings were gathering around the throne of God. God was holding court in heaven. The adversary was coming and God saw the adversary and asked the adversary, where have you been? And the adversary said, I have been wandering around the earth looking for unrighteousness. And God said to the adversary, have you considered my servant Job? He is a man of integrity. Despite all that has befallen him, he blesses the name of God. And the adversary replies, certainly. For people will give up everything to save their lives. If you inflict harm upon Job, he will curse you. God says, disturb Job's life. 
Bring upon him whatever you will, but do not kill him. And so all of a sudden, Job finds that his body has sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Tremendous sores that cause him great pain. He sits down in a mound of ashes and then he takes a piece of broken pottery and starts to scrape his skin with the pottery because they itch so bad. They hurt that much. And Job sits there. His wife comes to him and says, Dear husband, are you still clinging to your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? Why don't you just simply curse God and die? Job says to her, you speak foolishness. We will receive good from God, but not receive bad. So Job did not curse God still. Now, Job's friends and family, they they had all heard what was going on with Job. They knew of his circumstances. And three of his friends decided to come and visit Job. And they traveled to see him. And when they got there, they saw the agony of Job and all that he had witnessed and experienced. And so they sat with Job for seven days in silence. They said nothing to him, and he said nothing. At the end of that seven days, Job spoke, but he didn't curse God. Job actually cursed the day that he was born. He complained about ever even being born and entering this life. Now, his friends tried their very best to help Job understand his circumstances. They got into this banter back and forth about what Job had had experienced and why. For them, they understood in their life that, that good people got good things and bad people got bad things. Good people got the goodness of life. The bad people got punishment in life. And And certainly because of Job's calamity and his pain and his suffering, he must have done something to offend God, and therefore he just simply needed to confess. If he would confess whatever it was, his fortunes would be restored, his life would be restored. That's how simple the answer is. But Job didn't quite see it that way. Job, all the way through this, maintains his innocence. He has worshipped God. He is a man of integrity. He has avoided sin. He has gone out of his way to take care of the neighbors and the poor and the homeless that are around him. Actually, Job says that God is the one who has sinned. Because Job has done nothing. He is not an unjust person in this moment. He has done nothing to deserve what has happened to him. Job proclaims that he is more righteous than God. That's Job's sin. To proclaim that he is more righteous than God. And so Job presents his full case. He states what it is that he believes. And he gets to the point now where he waits for God to answer. For God is now on trial. And God should come up with a rebuttal of why it is that these things have happened to him. But it's not the next voice that Job hears. Actually, Job hears the voice of an inexperienced young man who's been a silent observer all the way through this conversation with Job's three friends. And it's this young man named Elihu who points out the fallacy of what they are arguing about. He points out that human experience tells us that good people don't always get good. Sometimes they get the bad. 
and that sometimes bad people get good things that happen to them. It's the imperfect nature of our lives together. It's the brokenness in which we dwell as part of our humanity. And that Job is not more righteous than God. For God's ways and things are higher than any of us could ever understand or comprehend. He points out this as his case, his understanding of what transpires. And when that happens, then God speaks. See, you think about this moment for Job's life. It is chaotic. What had been a fairly sedate, blessed life for Job has wound up in utter chaos. And in the middle of that chaos, God speaks from the whirlwind. From chaos. And God comes not to offer a rebuttal to Job's accusations, but God comes as the questioner. You think about in this moment what God does. God asks Job questions. He says, sit up straight, old man, and listen to me. Answer these questions for me if you can. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I created dry land and enclosed the seas? Where were you when I separated light from dark, life from death? Where were you when I created rain and snow and thunder and lightning? Where were you when I created the stars and put them into perfect alignment? Where were you when? Do you know, Job? Do you know how a lion hunts? Or how a raven cares for its young? Do you know how a mountain goat or a doe gives birth? Do you know who freed the donkey and the oxen to be wild? Do you know why it is that an ostrich flaps its wings and yet cannot fly? Do you know what gave the horse its strength? Do you know how it is that a hawk or an eagle can see its prey from such great distance? Do you know these things, Job? Answer me. Do you know, Job, these things? Then God finally finally asked Job, Where were you? Where you? Where were you when I created all things? Where were you when I created the behemoth and the Leviathan? Job, answer these questions for me. Job's reply is simple. Drew read it for us. Job said, I have spoken about things I did not understand, wanders so far beyond my comprehension. My ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. My knowledge has transferred into experience of you. Job withdrew his case, found comfort in his humanity. And the answer in knowing that it is God who is always there, even though he may not understand why. If you think about it, Job listens to God ultimately in the end of his story. God says to pray for his three friends. Job prays for his three friends and God restores and forgives them. And God restores Job as well. It says in the end of the story that his brothers and his sisters and all of the acquaintances came to sit with him, to comfort him, and to eat with him. They honored him with extravagant gifts. His fortunes were restored double to what they were originally. His wife and him had relationship again. They had more children, seven more sons, three more daughters. And Job lived to see his great-great-grandchildren. The story ends by saying that when Job died, 
He was old and satisfied. Now what's troubling about the story of Job is is that it doesn't address our original question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is, is the story isn't intended to answer that question. It's intended to remind us that we are an imperfect creation, living in an imperfect world, and that we are all subject to pain, suffering, and calamity. Our human understanding of justice is a false reality because good people have bad things happen to them all the time. Finally, the question that we so often ask is, Why, God? When in reality, maybe what we should be asking is, where is God? In the middle of our pain and our suffering and our calamity, we should be searching for where God is. In the the midst of other people's pain and suffering, we should ask if we should be the presence of God. When I was in Lee Summit, I served with a woman whose husband had been killed by two teenage boys. He was out in his field one day working on a piece of heavy equipment that he owned, and he was approached by these two young men. They were desperate young men. They'd been living with one of them's father, and the father had told them that he was going to kick them out of the house if they didn't figure out how to help with some of the expenses. They saw this gentleman out in his field and they went out to try to rob him. They asked him for the money that he had in his pockets and he refused to give it to them. They beat him and they killed him. And they took the few dollars that he had in his pockets and fled. They left behind his truck and his tools that were worth thousands of dollars. They killed him just simply the money that was in his pockets. The two young men were apprehended, tried, they were sentenced to prison, but my friend was against the death penalty. She advocated against the death penalty for these two young men. She sought for life incarceration for them, and that's what they received. But the other thing that amazes me about her story is, is that she went on to contact these two young men to build a relationship with them for healing and for restoration and forgiveness. One young man accepted her invitation and she started to visit him in the prison and had this conversation with him over and over. Every year they would come up for, they got to the point where they'd come up for their parole hearings. She would testify at their parole hearings expecting that they would continue to serve their sentence as they should as part of their punishment But she continued also this ministry of presence with this young man. Instead of asking the question why, as her main question, and she may have asked that question at some point, but she got to the point in her life where she discovered and wanted to discover where God was. How she could experience the presence of God in the midst of such tragedy and how she could be the presence of God in the middle of her own pain and suffering. You see, that's what I think we should all learn from Job's story. We should learn to search for where is. Where is God in the middle of these things? And how can we experience or be the presence of God in the middle of pain and suffering and tragedy? 
So here's what I hope that you hear today that you can take away from this moment. To be reminded that life simply is not fair. Amen? Right? We all live under the false impression that it is, but we all know through our experience, life simply is not fair. All of us are susceptible to pain and suffering and calamity in whatever forms. And to think about Job, who stopped searching for why bad things were happening to him. Instead, he found the presence of God and was the presence of God with those around him. And that in Job's story, we can learn those things as well. In the middle of whatever pain and suffering and calamity we experience or see in the world around us, we can sense where God is at work and be the presence of God in the middle of those circumstances. So here's your invitation for today. Some of you might find yourselves today in the middle of something that's troubling for you and you want to know why. You have that question burning within you. Why is this happening to me or or my family or someone I know? Maybe it's time today to put aside the why question and begin your journey to seek where God is present in this moment and how God can bring to you healing and grace, forgiveness and comfort. For, for others of us, we might know someone who's going through this journey, this struggle. They've had trauma in their lives. They're going through a painful moment and scenario. If you think about it, what happens with Job is, is that his friends come and sit with him in silence. They are present. They had a great ministry of presence to start out with. And I think that what happens for us as a community of faith is, is there are opportunities For us to be God's presence. It does not mean that we have to come with the answers. Many of us won't have the answers. But we can share the presence of God. In being there. In sitting with. And being present. Why searches for knowledge, dear friends? But knowledge, if you think about it, really isn't the salve that heals the soul. Where searches for the experience of God. And in that experience, we might receive grace and hope. We might receive healing and restoration. So whether you're in troubles in your own life or you know of someone who is, come and find where God is in this moment. That He might soothe the heart in your soul, in the souls of others around you. Would you please join me in a moment of prayer? So, God, we come before you in this moment. Some of us are in the middle of something and we have our why questions. Today we come to lay those aside and to seek and find where you are at in the middle of this. To proclaim, as Job said, that my ears have heard about you But now my eyes see you. May we witness your presence and where you are in the middle of our own pain and struggles. Or Lord, we come to pray today for those around us, members of our family, our friends, our community, our wider circle. For someone who is struggling today with their own pain, their own trial. We ask, O God, that you might send us to be your presence, to come and to sit. And through their experience of us, 
May you extend to them grace and hope, healing and restoration. May your salve heal their soul. We ask all of this in the name of your Son, our Savior.